This little boy named John, who's about seven years old, when his mom contracted tuberculosis and, and died. And she was a, a good mom, a godly woman, raised him in a house with her faith. But the dad was always at sea. He was a ship captain and hardly ever was home. And when he came home, uh, John said, if he loved me, he says, I think he loved me, but he didn't seem to ever want me to know it. And uh, so in a sense, his dad was a stranger to him. So he lost his mom and uh, was in a boarding house for a little while. And then uh, his dad took him on the ships with him. So at 11 years old, he's a sailor. And uh, incredibly impressionable. Got among the other sailors. It's a really rough life. He learned how to swear, gamble, drink at a very young age and uh, lived a, a real wicked lifestyle. And then uh, he was in this place one time where um, uh, the Navy, the Royal Navy, actually caught, a, caught him and put him on a ship, forced him to be uh, a sailor under their terms, and he tried to get away, and because of that, they stripped him naked and, and flailed him alive with a cat of nine tails in front of the rest of the, the ship. Just created bitterness in his heart. He wanted to kill the captain. He said he wanted to murder the captain and then jump overboard himself and drown himself, commit suicide. And this is the kind of condition this boy was raised in. He just got harder and harder. The other crew who served on the ships with him, they hated him. And uh, at one time, they abandoned him on an island. Uh, and and uh, people who are living in slavery caught him and sold him as a slave to slaves. And he was under this one, uh, this one woman who owned him. And she just hated him and would hardly feed him and work him and work him. And other slaves felt so sorry for him. They would sometimes give him food. But it was an awful life. He said... It just seemed like a providential thing that one day a ship showed up, had seen the smoke of a village, and the ship came, and the captain of the ship had been told by John's father to look for him, and he found him and rescued him from a life of slavery. And he gets back into being on a ship again as the, as the captain of a slave ship. And that's what he does for this next part of his life. And, and uh, he misused the slaves. He abused the women. He abused the, the men. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible condition. He said, it's just the worst kind of life you can imagine. And he was hated, hated by his crew. Um, in in the, the law of the sea is if a man goes overboard, you have to make some kind of attempt to rescue him. And so when he fell overboard, none of them wanted to rescue him but it's a capital offense. They'll, they'll, they'll hang you uh, if you don't try to rescue someone. So they threw a harpoon through his leg, pulled him up over the side of the ship. That was their attempt to rescue him. I mean, they didn't like him. And uh, one of the things he was famous for is uh, for his swearing. He would, his goal was to swear to make a, another sailor throw up. Uh, that, was his, that was his claim to fame. Lived an awful life. John was caught in a storm off the coast of Ireland one time, and he was sent down into the bowels of the ship to pump, and they would just pump like a bicycle pump, pumping all the time. And they started about 3 o'clock in the morning, 
went to around noon the next day, and, and it was just a constant struggle to keep the water out so that the ship wouldn't sink, and they could barely manage it. More waves were coming, more storms. The storm just kept coming and coming and coming. He went up on top the deck to do something, and uh, uh, the captain stopped him and sent him back to get a knife, and the man who took his place, who stepped up in, in, instead of him, was swept overboard uh, by a massive wave, and, and he realized that, was, that could have been me if he hadn't gone back to get that knife. Captain gave him the helm of the ship, so he's steering through the storm. While he's there steering, hour after hour, he's got time really to think. And he realized that he was raised in a house of faith, but he had no faith of his own. He didn't know what to do about that. He didn't know. He, said he needed God's help. And he had never really stopped to pray. He had never lived a life of prayer or any a life godliness, godly, a godly life at all. But now he needed faith because it looked like the ship wasn't going to make it. As he thought about it, he needed something to help build his faith. He got a hold of a Bible. He's steering the ship, but he's got a Bible. Just leafing uh, to try to find something that, would, that he could believe in, something that he could put his faith in. He believed that the Bible was the Word of God. He believed that it was written by the Holy Spirit. He believed that much from his childhood. And, and so he, he came to verse Luke eleven thirteen, where it says that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will give it to you. The Father will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He just took that verse as, as something to put his faith in. It could have been almost any verse. In fact, that verse really didn't even apply to his situation. But he believed it. He believed. He said, I need the Spirit. I need, I need God's help. And he stood on that verse, and something happened in his heart. It was the beginning of a change, a major change in his life. As he's standing on the ship in the middle of the storm, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord begins the process of transforming his life, what we call personal revival. When he got off the ship, limping off the ship, he got a job uh, He's a, a keeper, a title keeper. It's kind of like a tax collector. And I think he lived in a lighthouse. He was kind of separated from everybody. And so while he was there, he just went deep into the Bible. He learned uh, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and some French because a lot of the best sermons were written in French at the time. So he taught himself these languages and went deep into the Bible. And a transformation gradually began to work by the word of God. He felt called to be a pastor. He didn't qualify on any, on any level because he lived such a, an awful life. But it was by God's grace. And so he actually started writing letters. He wrote letters to the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, to see if someone would take him to be a pastor. He pastored one church for about 10 years and another church for something 20 some, 20 some years. All total, he had about 40 years of ministry. He married, settled down and became a great pastor, a wonderful pastor, um, and a songwriter. He got a partner who could write, uh, like, write uh, lyrics, and, and they co collaborated, and they wrote some of the best hymns of the day. One of them was called Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that Saved a Wretch Like Me. His name is John Newton. He lived an awful life, except something happened when he was exposed 
to the word of God because that's what changes us. It's God's word by his spirit. We may sound like a broken record so many times we were telling you to get into the Bible, to spend time in the Bible, to make that a priority. It's not a religious thing on our part. It's not just something for head knowledge. It's not something for information. As we expose our heart to the word of God, it gives him a chance to transform us. It gives him a chance to give us personal revival. How many times have you been reading something that was quickened, something that came alive for you off the pages of the Bible, and it's, it set, your, set you free in your heart. It, it, it put you on a different, in a different mood, a different attitude. It caused you to worship or to walk, walk holy before the Lord, even for an hour, even for a period of time, like a day or two days or even a couple weeks. Well, that's revival. That's no less revival than what we're looking for on a, on a national level. America needs revival. Our state desperately needs revival. Our county, our town needs revival. Well, while we're waiting for that, and we expect that's going to happen, you can have a personal revival regularly. It's not constant, but anytime God's word makes you come alive, anytime God's word causes you to repent, anytime God's word sticks with you and it, 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 it does something to your faith, that's revival. It's a small scale, but it's a revival. He showed me one time, he said, uh, I was kind of lamenting my condition, lamenting the condition of the, the land. Where's the promise? We keep hearing that revival's coming to the Northeast. I've heard that all my, almost all my Christian life. And I don't see it on the scale that I like to see it. The Lord just helped me to see that I need to be grateful for the, any ounce of revival that I got. Any little piece of revival, even if it lasts for an hour. And the more grateful I am for that, the more revival I see. The more he quickens me. Well, David, he wrote about this. And if you go to um, Psalm 119... Psalm 119 is David's prayer journal. He, he writes as honest to God as he can. It's an amazing, it's the longest psalm, but it's in these little sections. It's just, it's actually the Hebrew alphabet. And, and it's got these little sections, maybe four or five verses uh, in, in each one. And it's all about the word, whether he's talking about precepts or judgments, commandments, it's all about the word. And, and he's saying, your word, your word, it's your word that transforms me. It's your word that I want. But uh, I noticed that there's a discrepancy. People are always talking about revival, but you don't see it very much in the Bible. You don't see them, Paul saying, I brought revival to this town, or I brought revival here, and I brought revival there. It's just not there. The effect is there. We see new life happening everywhere on almost every page of the Bible. But that language is kind of missing. There's a big discrepancy between how often it's used in the Bible and how often we use it in our everyday Christian conversation. Except this. When I got into Psalm 119 and I started going deep in it, looking up every word, trying to get to the bottom of it, I, I spent like a year in Psalm 119 going deep. And I happened to come across a little word called quicken. It's the old English word. Quicken. In fact, uh, we got the Hebrew de definition that Bethel put up there for us. This is right out of the Strong's Concordance. And David prayed this 
oh, I think about eight or nine times in this, just this one psalm, he would say, quicken me, O oh God, quicken me, quicken me with your word, quicken me with your judgments, quicken me with your loving kindness. And when I looked at it, he's actually praying for personal revival. Can you see it? To make alive, to revive, to recover, to repair, to restore, to make one whole. Isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that the process we're all in? And he, David, in the best, best of his understanding, he realized that had something to do with the word of God. At that time, he's got like five books of the Bible. Look what we've got. And, and he probably didn't have access to a regular scroll of it. He would just hear it. But he knew somehow there's a connection between what's, what's in God's word and what was happening to him spiritually. So he began to pray. And this would be a good thing for us to pray for the summer. This would be good if you can figure out a way to remind yourself and just go deep in it. Maybe even go deep into Psalm 119 for the summer. That'd be worthwhile. It's a, it's a man's prayer journal. Quicken me, O oh God. So let's, let's look at a few verses to see what he was after, what he understood in terms of personal revival. Go with me to Psalm 119, verse 25. And Beth, again, she'll put it up behind us here. Psalm 119, verse 25. David says, my, my soul clings to the dust. That's low. That, it doesn't... It doesn't get any lower than that. So he's in a low place. He's in a difficult time. Maybe he's depressed. Maybe he's struggling spiritually. But he says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me. Revive me according to your word. Now, he's either praying this one way or the other. I think he's either praying, use your word to make me come alive again, because I'm low, or make me come alive by your promise. You promise to do this. You promise to make me come alive. But regardless, either way, we need the word to make us come alive. It's not being religious. We're after personal revival. He says in Psalm 119, verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. He says that several times in this psalm. Look at verse 156. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Revive me according to your judgments. <laughs> In a sense, he's saying, deal with me. Do whatever it takes. Deal with me. Revive me. I, he, he was so aware of God's mercy. He knew that God loved him. So you don't, you're not afraid of God's dealings. You're not afraid of God taking you and disciplining you because you're, you're not afraid of that. You're actually inviting it. He said, deal with me. Revive me. Make me come alive. Here's the whole point. Whether you're overwhelmed with God's goodness or he's taking you to the woodhouse to discipline you, it doesn't matter as long as you come alive. Just, whatever it takes, I just don't want to live the way I'm living. I want you to... Revive me. Use your judgments if you have to, but revive me. Let's look at 
Psalm 119, verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts. That's the Bible. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. There's been times in my life, and I know this is true of you as well, where something happens that God reminds you of how much he loves you. He reminds you of how much he cares. That, that was John Newton's experience. As he's standing on the ship and he realizes, I went to get a knife and the guy that went my place drowned. He started to occur to him that maybe God's after him. Maybe, maybe there's something that God wants to do in his life. There's all kinds of ways that God shows us his goodness. And you stop and you consider it. And the more you meditate on, on how good he's been, his love for you, his loving kindness, it melts your heart into a place where all of a sudden you're experiencing personal revival. And you get waves of that happening. And that is true revival. It makes you want to pray. It makes you want to worship. It makes you want to stay the course. It makes you want to say no to sin because you're aware of his loving kindness. Whether it's his loving kindness or his dealings, it doesn't matter. Make me come alive, oh God. What would happen if you started praying this way? What would happen if, if together we just decided that this is where we're going to go? We're going to ask God to quicken us, use whatever he needs to, to make us come alive. There's other verses. Uh, you'll have to look them up if you want to go deeper in this for yourself. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 57. Verse 15, and again, Beth will put it on the screen behind me here. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I, will do, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of his contrite ones. That's, that's the Lord speaking. He said, I'm in this high and holy place. The more we humble ourselves, the more honest we get, honest with ourselves, honest to God, that's called humility. Humility is basically having a, a, a true assessment of what you're going through, your true condition. The more you're honest with him about where you're really at, the more revival you can experience. That was John Newton's testimony. That's my testimony, and I'm sure it's part of your testimony as well. The whole idea of contrite, contrition or being, is the idea of being broken up. It's regretting how you've been living, regretting what you've been doing. And there's a part where he's at the helm of the ship crying out to God. And for the first time, he stops and he considers how, how abusive he's been, how awful he's been. And he came into a place of contrition that allowed him to cry out and ask God to save him. For the rest of his life, he was absolutely overwhelmed. It came out in almost every sermon and came out in the, probably the greatest song, the greatest hymn ever written. It, it comes out... He just was aware, I was wicked. I was wretched. That's honesty. And God, by his grace, reached into my now and rescued me. He couldn't stop singing about it. He couldn't stop preaching about it. It's on his tombstone. He wrote his own tombstone and described his condition. <laughs> he was a sinner. He was a slave. He, he was involved with slavery, one of the worst possible professions 
a human being could ever be a part of, and he was part of that. He wanted that on his tombstone. But by the grace of God, he was called to be a man of God. And then it happened a lot of people come out of their life of sin. Contrition is a powerful tool where we just walk before the Lord and we get honest before him. We let, we let our condition, we become aware of our condition, and we, we let it lead us into revival. How many want personal revival? It's possible for us to have it as a church while we're waiting for America to have revival. While we're waiting for it to happen to our county and our town. Because it doesn't look like it's happening. This month alone, there's 40 divorces in this town. 40 divorces. It doesn't look like it's happening right now. But there's no reason why we can't experience something of newness of life happening in our hearts by the word of God, by his loving kindness, by his grace. It's not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't come in the revival. You can't turn it on and turn it off. If we could, we'd be in revival all the time. But I know this. If we expose our heart to the word of God, if we got off our phones a little bit more and meditated on the scripture, if we got away from the, the, the things that distract us, the, the media that's out there, there's a lot of it. And I, I know exactly, I'm not preaching to condemn you because I'd have to condemn myself in the process. But I am trying to opt out of that more and more to get more exposure to the word of God because that's what changes me. That's what makes me come alive again. Helps me to see myself differently. Helps me to see God differently. We need revival. We need revival. Here's some things you might consider that I've been thinking about for myself. Here's how you know if you need revival. If it looks like everyone around you is experiencing the presence of God, but you're not, you're on the outside looking in, you need revival. If you're no longer moved by sermons, and you're no longer moved by hearing the word of God, you need to acknowledge your condition and say, Lord, something's happened. I'm not being affected. I'm not being moved by it like I used to. Remember when you first started out, when you're when the Lord first made you come alive, you'd lean into every sermon. You'd lean into every time the scripture is read. You'd listen for something from God. And that what happens when we get further shut down, we just don't hear it. We don't get the, there's no edge to it. It doesn't cut us. It doesn't work a work in us. If you can't remember the last time you heard the voice of God, you probably need revival. If you're unaffected by worship, you're probably in need of revival. Here's something that happens, and it's happened to me, so I can admit this, and perhaps you can too. It's possible to get to church and can't wait for worship to get over with so you can get the message. Then the message starts, and you can't wait for that to get over with so you can get some fellowship with someone who's in the room. Then you can't wait for that to get over with because there's something, something you want to do at home. And you get through it and you're actually 
going through the process but not being transformed. Longing for something but not giving it any time to really work a work in us. I think one way for us to come into revival is to decide on the front end, I'm not gonna let another 20 or 30 minute worship time go, go by without getting deep into worship. You can decide on the front end, I'm gonna worship whether I like the song, whether, I, whether it's my favorite worship leader or not, I'm gonna go deep into this. I'm, I'm a worshiper, that's a way to get into personal revival. It's funny when we're, the, the more callous, the more, the more indifferent we become, we end up standing with our hands in our pockets and just abiding the time. Our minds are somewhere else. We're not really into it. And it's, a, it's an indication that we need personal revival. You know you need personal revival when you're dealing with the same issues you've always had, but there's no change. You repeatedly ask for forgiveness, but don't have the power to repent, don't have the power to actually go the other way. It's an indication that something beyond you, something beyond your ability, something beyond you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps has to, has to kick in. Something has to happen outside of ourselves. And so the way to get there is we cry out and we say, quicken me, oh God, revive me, make me come alive. Use whatever you have to do just don't leave me in this condition. Make me come alive. We should pray it for our, ch our church, our county, our families. Our families need revival. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, let's stand together. JB, why don't you come back up with your guitar? Could you play for us the, girl, the song the girls were just singing a few minutes ago, Amazing Grace? While he's getting that strapped on and there's time, why don't you begin the process? Why don't you pray the prayers of David? They worked for him. Why don't you pray it wherever you're at? Say, Lord, quicken me. Quicken me. Revive my home. Revive my church. Revive my county. Our country, oh God. Lord, we need revival. Quicken us.